Adams, it is time. Let's lay down our warrior regalia and just crawl to the cave. This is Adams Cave. Eves, you're welcome on board as well. It's always a great pleasure to have you join in. And Adam will always need the helper. So, Karibu Sana. For our visitors, Adam's Cave is a space where we discuss matters affecting men and the people that these men love so dearly and passionately. So we endeavor to be very, very candid, actually, and concise and clear in the conversation. I'm your host, Kissinger Kiprotich, and it's always a delight to have you in the cave. Our lines of engagement remain 20933 or 0717 400 2093 or 0717-400-55. Or just a comment at the section on Hop TV or Hop FM YouTube pages. So we recently gathered at Sitamburuburu for the men's altar. Over 500 men of us, just considering the topic positioned for, exp exp for exploits. Let me take it again. Positioned for exploits was the topic. Positioned for exploits. The guest speaker was a man, a father, as a husband, and a Bible expositor, and a very, very ardent reader, and a minister who is extremely passionate in matters affecting missions, prayer, and the word. And that was the presiding bishop of Christ is the answer ministry. So we consider the three topics of the 3D men. Welcome the 3D men. And this is how it went down at Ben's altar at Itamburu. I was in, uh, uh, lived in the USA in the early 90s, and uh, a movement had just started. A movement had started that was called the Promise Keeper. And the Promise Keeper was started by a former uh, American football coach who was a Christian. Uh, he got a group of men, started with uh, some few men, and then uh, he said, why don't we extend this and see what would happen if we opened it up for the city? And at some point, uh, uh, for almost four years consecutively, Promise Keeper would hold meetings in uh, 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 the football st uh, stadium where 50,000 men would gather together. Purely men, no women at all. 50,000 men would gather together for the Promise Keeper meetings, which they would hold once in a, a, a year, uh, all over, uh, scattered all over the USA. And uh, uh, I think watching that, I got a hint that uh, men also can respond to God. I got a hint that men also can connect with God. And uh, men also are open to God. Uh, it's not just the women folk uh, who are open to God. Men are also open to God. They also connect with God and they experience uh, uh, the very holy presence of the Father. A similar thing also happened in uh, uh, South Africa, uh, where again one gentleman uh, was moved by God. Again, to begin calling men. If you find a book called Faith Like Potatoes, uh, faith like potatoes, read it. Uh, and you'll be amazed how God used that man also to raise a, a movement of, uh, of, of men. Why am I giving all these examples? Uh, I'm giving this just to mention, do not despise the days of small beginnings. That as you start here, may God turn it into a ripple effect that has started at uh, Sitam Buruburu, but that would spread out and begin to touch uh, even uh, the entire city as you allow the Lord to use you as men here for the glory and the honor of his name. Amen and amen. Amen. I'd like to share with us uh, tonight uh, on uh, uh, a subject that I've called positioned for exploits. 
positioned for exploit. I'm, uh, exploits. I'm going to read two passages of scripture. Uh, two verses in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 22. 1 Samuel chapter 22 verse 1 and 2. And then I will read Second Samuel chapter 23. Second Samuel chapter 23 verse 8 through verse 23. Uh, so first of all, First Samuel chapter 22 verse 1 and 2. Then Second uh, Samuel chapter 23 verse 8 through 23 positioned for exploits. First Samuel chapter 22 verse 1 and 2. So David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and his father's household heard of it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. And he became captain over them. Now there were about 400 men with him. Did we get that? We are also just around the same figure. I think so. 400, 500 or so men here with us today. Then we go to Second Samuel chapter 23 verse 8 through verse 23. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. The mighty Kikuyu word, Jamba. These were the Jamba whom David had. Josheb, Bashebeth, a Tekumunite, chief of the captains. He was called Adino the Esnite because of 800 slain by him at one time. And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo or Dodai, the Ahohite. One of the three mighty men with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there to battle and the men of Israel had withdrawn. He arose and struck the Philistines until his hand was weary and clung to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day and the people returned after him only to strip the slain. Now after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, a Hararite, and the Philistines were gathered into a troop where there was a plot of ground full of lentils and uh, dengue. And he said, these people are not going to swallow our dengue. And the people fled from the Philistines. But he took his stand in the midst of the plot, defended it, and struck the Philistines. And the Lord brought about great victory. The Three of the thirty chief men went down and came to David in the harvest time to the cave of Adullam while the troop of the Philistines was camping in the valley of Rephaim. And David was then in the stronghold while the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David had a craving and said, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water from the well of Bethlehem, which was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. And he said, be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. 
these things the three mighty men did. And Abishai, the brother of Job, the son of Azariah, was chief of the thirty. And he swung his spear against three hundred and killed them and had a name as well as the three. He was most honored of the thirty. Therefore, he became their commander. However, he did not attain to the three. Then Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, uh, the son of a valiant man of Kabzil, who had done mighty deeds, killed the two sons of Ariel of Moab. He also went down and killed a lion in the middle of a pit on a snowy day. And he killed an Egyptian, an impressive man. Now the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but he went down to him with a club and snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. These things Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, did and had a name as well as the three mighty men. He was honored among the thirty, but he did not attain to the three. And David appointed him over his God. So Lord, we pray again, speak to our hearts. We open our spirits to you. May you have your way in us and through us and among us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Some of us perhaps have watched the movie 300. The movie 300 is an interesting uh, uh, historical movie that captures the battle of uh, Thermopylae uh, between the Greek city-states and the Persians in the year 480 BC. With only 300 men, King Leonidas of Sparta withstood King Saxes the first, who had 300,000 soldiers. For seven days, Saxes could not pass through a certain gorge because of 300 men. The Spartans defeated them and killed thousands and thousands of them until finally the Spartans were betrayed by one of their own. The Spartan had a military style and discipline that was used as an example of patriotic commitment in defending one's national soil. It is also used as an example of rigid training for the manner in which they would train their men, their young men, became known and became proverbial to the extent we speak of that is Spartan in terms of how rigid their training actually was. But it was a symbol also of courage and of overwhelming determination against all odds. The 300 Spartans, all of them died except one so legend tells us and the one who did not die went back home and he told the story of the battle and uh, one certain Simonites wrote an epitaph that they put out there on their graves and the epitaph read this way stranger announced to the Spartans that here we lie having fulfilled their orders some people translate it this way Go tell the Spartans, you who pass by, that in obedience to their laws, we do lie here. Such people like Leonidas are considered heroes. We epitomize them with poems, literature, ballads, and even motion pictures. In most cultures, we try to preserve a memorial for them or build up a monument which would actually remind us of the achievements of men like these. 
even within Christian circles, we try to immortalize individuals that sometimes we think have made great achievement or contribution to the church or to the kingdom of God. We write their biographies or autobiographies. We put their lives in movies and films. We sometimes even sing songs that acknowledges the great contribution that they made. But in my short experience as a Christian worker in ministry, I have come to the realization that there are many, many heroes and heroines. The women are not here, but let me acknowledge them as well. There are many, many heroes and heroines who have greatly and quietly contributed to the extension of the kingdom of God who have not received any accolades at all. No biography has been written about them. Hollywood, Bollywood, Nollywood, and whatever else would, would not make films about them at all. In fact, they are not interested in their stories for they would not make box office hit. We do not even eulogize them when they have gone during uh, 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 their, uh, their funerals and sometimes even while they are still alive. They are quietly and faithfully serving the Lord and making an impact for God and causing exploit for God. These are the unsung heroes my someone wants to sing a song to these unsung heroes. Some of them have faced jeers. Some of them have been ostracized while others have been laid, have laid down their lives for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. For such people, Christianity was not a mere entertainment. Uh-uh, uh-uh. It was not even a make me feel good kind of religion. Uh -uh, uh -uh. It was not going with the crowd and the masses and following around the popular band or popular brand where everyone is going. Uh -uh, uh -uh. To them, it was blood. It was their life. It was commitment. It was dedication. It was coming out and saying, with my whole heart and with my entire life, I want to dedicate myself to follow the course of the Lord. I want to go the extreme mile. I want to continue on even when it means laying down my life. These are individuals who have made a kind of commitment with the Lord and I call them frontliners because more often than not, they are on the trench line. They are on the forefront. They are the fighters who are backing off the enemies. They are the ones who are clearing the pathway for the rest of us to go and collect the spoils after their battles. They are the ones who are achieving great things because they have made a commitment to God and they have said I know God has called me as a man and I am not going to compromise. I am not going to stay cold. I am not going to move with the crowds. I am going to position myself to make exploits for the name of the living God. And they have gone out there and God has used them for the glory and the honor of his name. Allow me therefore. To sing my song through my summon. In acknowledgement. Of the great contribution. Of these frontliners. And the exploits. That we learn from them. As individuals. Number one. You need to transcend your background. First Samuel chapter 22. Verse 1 through verse 2. We read it just a little while ago. 
In fear of King Achish of Philistine or Gath and King Saul of Israel, David fled and went to hide in a cave at Adullam. The name Adullam means a refuge, a base, a secure place, a cave, a protection, a stronghold. It is a launching pad. So when you read the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and it begins to list for us the heroes of faith, the men and women who achieved great. And verse 31 once it begins saying, and what more shall I then say? For time would fail me to mention of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also, of Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, brought righteousness, works valiant in fight, put to flight the armies of alien, out of weakness were made strong, and women received their dead raised after life. And then he goes on to say, and some lived in caves. He's referring to these heroes of faith, who joined David, ladies and gentlemen. We don't have ladies here. I only saw one actually. we referring to these heroes of faith who joined David. And as a matter of fact, they are appearing in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 as those who lived in caves. What are they doing in Hebrews chapter 11 out of what we are reading about them here? Psalms 142 was actually written by David. In the same season, and listen to what David says, verse 3 to verse 5 of Psalms 142. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Look and see, there is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, O oh Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. David confesses as he lives in this cave of Adullam. God, the word Adullam is refuge. And indeed, you are my refuge. You are the one that I will hide on, uh, upon. You are the one that I will hold on to. But when his relatives and other people heard that David had ran and was hiding in the cave of Adullam, they began to rally together and gather around him. And the book of 1 Samuel chapter 22 verse 1 to verse 3 that I read for us, gives us a commentary of the people who actually joined King David when he was running away. They are described in 3Ds, and that's not a computer program. The three-dimensional individuals. We are told that everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented, the 3Ds, they were in distress. They were in debt. They were discontented. All these bunched up together and followed to join David in spite of their status quo and became part and parcel of his team, the 400 that we were referring to. Listen to how the message paraphrase. 
put verse 1 and 2 of 1 Samuel chapter 22. Just listen. So David got away and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and others associated with his family heard where he was, they came down and joined him. Not only that, but all who were down on their luck came around. Losers and vagrants and misfits of all sorts. David became their leader. There were about 400 in all. What a bunch of losers to form a military battalion out of. And yet, these were the outlaws like David. The regiment he had was not made up of great men. It was not made up of rich men. It was not made up of stout men. Neither was it made up of good men. It was made up of men with broken fortunes. Men with restless spirits, men on the run, a bunch that would not impress anyone. Their past was a catastrophe. Their future seemed like a holocaust. From the beginning, it did not seem like they were going anywhere. Anyone who would look at them would define them with the three Ds. Men who are distressed, men who are in debt, men who are discontented. And David took these and brought them to the cave of Adulama. And God began working on their lives and something started happening lives were being altered, lives were being changed and transformed that became the launching pad that these men here who would have been given up on out of the cave of Adulam arose a great group of battalion soldiers of whom are recorded not only in 2 Samuel chapter 23 but are also recorded in Hebrews chapter 11, the book of heroes. How did they get there? Because they were exposed in that cave. It became a launching pad for them. My brothers, oftentimes when God wants to start a movement and a great work in the life of an individual, he will lead them to a launching pad. And on very rare occasions, is it a five-star hotel? On very rare occasion, is it a beach hotel? On very rare occasion, is, is it a platform where they are being given accolades and clubs and appreciated? On very rare occasion, is it a path marked with praise and renown? Oftentimes, God would hide them in a cave when he's doing something in the inside of them. Oftentimes, God would place them in a refuge shelter while he's altering them and changing them. Oftentimes, others may define them and look at them and dismiss them as people who are unfit, people who are discounted, people who are not having anything worthwhile to introduce or to contribute. But my brothers... Individuals who have gone through this place at some point 
usually it is in the caves and in the deserts away from the distractions and the interference a place of quiet a place of reflection a place where the women are not a place where the men are only in isolation that is the place where oftentimes God would identify a man and begin to zero in on them and say I have my hand over in your life I have my hand in your life my spirit is resting upon you I have your destiny marked it out. I'm making you into a soldier. I'm training you up. I'm equipping you. I'm taking you to another level because then we need to rise up to transcend the kind of background that we have as men. Haven't we had it enough? The accusations that are keep heaping upon us. Men these days do not even know how to sit for interviews. Men these days cannot even lead in an organization because they don't know how to multitask. Men these days cannot even be able to take care of their families. Men these days, and the saying goes on on and on about men, and we are walking around with a heavy load of distress of our heads. We hear it in the office. We hear it sometimes in some churches. We hear it in our homes. Sometimes it is our very own spouses who would turn and begin making those statements against us. Sometimes it is apparent here and those are hanging over our heads walking around with backgrounds of distress, issues that we are not able to handle. Sometimes it is the workplace where we are handling debts, issues that we got into and we are carrying this heavy debt. Listen to me. We need to transcend our backgrounds. We need to allow God to launch us out. We need to rise up of men because God has a destiny. God has a purpose. God has a plan for you as a man. So those who have told you, you cannot do it. Those who have told you, you will not amount to much. Those who have told you, your future is oblique. Those who have told you, your star is not shining. Those who have told you that you will not rise up to the level you need to go, turn around and tell them, no, God has raised you up and has put you at an adulant place, a place of altering you, of changing you. Your future is bright. The near future is even brighter because God is doing something significant in your life as he raises you to another level as a man, as you allow yourself in, locked in in the cave with him, locked in in the cave with him, locked in in the cave with him, God working in you, God molding you, God is shaping you, shaping your character, shaping your thoughts, shaping your vision, shaping your faith, shaping you so that those things that have been tying you down, whether it is sin, whether it is pornography, whether it is issues to do with fear, there are some of us who are struggling. Because of fear. The three Ds we need to put aside. That's not our definition. We are getting a new definition. Those who have walked with God. Those who have been locked in with God. Those who have been altered by God. Those who have a purpose. Mighty man. Jamba. For the name of the living God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. allow me to move on otherwise I'll stay here too long 
Not only do we need to transcend our background, we also need to take position, take your position. In verse 10 and, 2, uh, 10 and 12 of 2 uh, Samuel chapter 23, says that, talking about Dino, he arose and struck the Philistine until his hand was weary and clung to the sword. And the Lord brought about great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to strip the dead. And verse 12, we read of Shammah, but he took his stand in the midst of the plot. He took his position and defended it and struck the Philistines. And on and on about all these men. We fast forward in the life of David. Towards the end of his life, we have a list of who is who in the life of David. We have a list of names and individuals. And I could go on and read that entire list. It even includes the husband of Bathsheba, Uriah. Pierce in that list as well. Many other men. Men who a few years ago, if someone looked at them, someone would say, these are people who are distressed. These are people who are discontented. These are people who are in debt. We look forward a few years down the road and they are appearing in the Guinness Book of Record of King David's time of individuals who performed exploits because of the way they positioned themselves. Their backgrounds did not tie them. No. They rose up and took position when it was needed in the midst of the battles we find men here and some achievements are given to us. Adino the Ezronite slain 800 people. Eliza the son of Dodo struck the uh, Philistines until his hand stuck to his sword. The sword became an extension of his hand. Shammah the son of Agi defended the field. The three who brought water from Bethlehem to David. Can you imagine a Jericho? And here are whole soldiers of, of the Philistines covering and guarding Bethlehem. And three of these people, one with a Jericho and a sword, and the other two, two are fighting as the other one rushes to just scoop some water from the well at Bethlehem. Some of them killed giants as you read the list. We immediately notice why they were different. While everyone else was fleeing away, the Bible says, everyone was fleeing away. They took their stand. And as a result of that, people would only come to actually collect the goods that had been left, strip the dead and collect the goods. Because these individuals took their stand. If we want to move on as men, to make a great impact and do exploits for God. It is no time for men to double deal. It is no time for men to move along with mob psychology. It is no time for men to be influenced by the trends of our time. It is no time for men 
to have no roots, no stand at all, like the Nile cabbage that I saw on the river Nile. It moves with the water. When you are on the other side, you see the Nile cabbage and you think it is there. You come back in the afternoon, it has moved. It is on the other side of the river. It has no stand because it has no root. They cared about the honor of their names. They cared about the honor of the Lord. They cared about the reputation of God. They were willing to take a stand even if it was inconveniencing him, them. Whether everyone else was going a different direction, they didn't care. They had made a decision. This is the way we would want to go. We want to honor the Lord. And they were not going along with everyone. Let everyone else in the office bribe. Let everyone else go around with girls and women. Let everyone else mess up their lives. Let everyone else continue getting shady deals. But I am defining myself as a chamber, man of God. I am defining myself as one who has made a commitment to God. And so this man did to the extent let everyone else run away. They are holding their ground. They have a position, a position in their faith, a position in their understanding of who God is, a position of what they need to do, a position of their rights. No one is going to chase them away from that. And as a result of that, they were able to bring about great victory in the name of the Lord. It's John Wesley who said these words. Give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God and I care not whether they be clergymen or laymen. They alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven upon earth. Just give me 100 men 100 men who fear nothing but sin, who desire nothing but God, and they will shake the world. They will shake the world. 100 men who will take their stand when it comes to sin, uh -uh. when it comes to shady dealings, uh -uh. but when it comes to God, oh God, my heart is yearning for you. I'm longing for you want to be in your presence. I want to walk with you. I want to dedicate myself to you. 100 men. If we had more in this city, if we had more in our government offices, if we had more in the parastatals, if we had more in the corporate world, if we had more in our homes, if we had more in families, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to see a revolution and my sense right now having my ear to the ground like a dozen dog that has its feet on the ground and can hear the rumbling of an earthquake a long way off even before the earthquake has hit. I can hear the rumbling. God is raising up virtuous and righteous men. Men who are determined. It is our time to rise up and we are going to make a difference, a change in the world as we pass to God, as we shun sin and as we commit ourselves to the cause of the living God. Men who are willing to sacrifice to see righteousness accomplished. A number of us would remember a few years ago there was a race in Nigeria, a marathon race. 
And Kenneth Kipkemohi was actually going to take the race. He was going to win. And he ran on, ran on. About five meters or so before the tape, his knees crumbled, couldn't go on anymore. He tried to get up. This could go on anymore. His compatriot was number three, Simon Chaprot, was actually going to take number three. Saw him. And Simon Chaprot said, My friend has got to finish this race. He's got to finish this race. He went. Let others pass us. Put him his hand on the shoulders. Walked with him walked with him until he crossed the finish line. Simon Chevrolet missed his number three position. He didn't get it because he said later on he was going to be number one and I didn't want to go ahead of him. I wanted him still to finish the race. Ah. Men who would be willing to sacrifice their own position, sacrifice their own comfort, sacrifice their own good, because they feel things need to go a certain way, a certain direction. And God is inviting you and I that would rise up in this nation, in this church, in this community, in this city, that would rise up. To be men of commitment. Men who know. We want to let God have his way among us. Ooh, if I don't move on. I won't finish. Number three. Triumph through the Lord. It's interesting to note. That in this passage. This group are being shown as individuals who are fighting battles. They're not being shown like, oh, now they are on cloud nine. Oh, now things are so easy for them. They're being shown as a group whose feet and whose exploits are recorded because they fought certain battles and they won the battles. And the truth of the matter is, there are many of us as men who are in our own personal private wars that we are fighting. Some of us are probably fighting for our marriages. And you would have given up five years ago. But you say, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to hang in there. This marriage is going to turn. It's going to change some of you are fighting battles for your sons and your daughters, for your brothers and your sisters, for your siblings, for your parents. And you've been hanging in there in that battle, tenaciously holding on with a belief and a faith. This is going to turn. I'm holding on. Some of you are fighting personal battles with lusts, 
personal battles with pornography. Speaking in South Africa a little while ago, walking down the aisle after the ministry, a young man says to me, can I see you in camera? So I took my camera and we went somewhere, a little quiet, and we sat down. Young man sat on a seat there, I sat on a seat next to him, facing him. He said to me, I am a youth pastor in my church. But the moment I sit before a computer, the first thing, pornography. I am struggling, I'm fighting about, I'm a youth pastor, but the moment I sit before a computer, pornography. After advising the young man, reading with him some passages of scripture, I decided to pray with him. I rose up as he was seated there, put my hands on his head. The thief had hit him with a bolt of electricity. He shifted the chair very, very quickly and turned and faced the other direction. I turned to him and gently with a gentle voice said, look at me, look at me, look at me. That's how he would go. He would try to look and he would look away. Then he began to shout. He said, you are shining, you are shining. Believe you me, I was not shining. I was seeing something else. I was not shining myself. I had to cast out a demon from that young man. And there are some of us who have opened doorways into our lives through involvement with illicit relationships, through involvement with pornography, through involvement of trying to advance yourself to the extent that you are even engaged with things like Illuminati, things like uh, 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 Satan worship. Open doorways. We are saying, if we are to be the men that God wants us to be, those battles that we have been fighting, now we are bringing them before the Lord. How did they win the battles? They had a vision of God's purpose for their lives very, very quickly. They won the battle. They were able to triumph because they had a vision of what God wanted to do in their lives. People like David knew one day you will be king. Although you are right now in a, in a cave, although you are running all over the place, there is royalty. There is a king. And the others knew one day, one day you will be a commander of the military. One day you will be in charge of the bodyguards. One day you will be seated in the palace with the king. A vision of the future that knew that God had spoken something concerning David as king. And if God has said it, it's going to come to pass. The vision that God's word will never go void. It will come to be accomplished. And so the word that God has spoken through David or to David was going to be accomplished. And they were going to be part of that word. That vision kept on driving them. What's the vision that you have for your life? What's the vision that you have for the future? Do not be derailed from the purposes of God for your life. Hold on to a noble vision of yourself. I am a child of God. I'm destined for heaven. I'm seated in the heavenly places with the Lord Jesus Christ. A noble vision for yourself. It was because they had virtue in principles. You need to read the life of Uriah, who is also listed here. Uriah was such that he says, how can I be like a civilian when the others are in battle? 
going to enjoy time with my wife. He embarrassed David with this kind of commitment. Man who paid allegiance to the Lord with the whole of his life said, Job, the military is out there. That's where I ought to be. I'm going to remain outside. Virtue, principles, character. They made vows and were dedicated to the Lord. Willing to risk their lives for a cause completely sold out to what they want to do and what they believed was right. So they were thoroughly committed to God. You read this narrative again and again you'll find this phrase. And God brought about great victory. Although they are said to have been the men who fought the war, the conclusion, concluding statement is that God brought about great victory. In other words, these were men who were actually drawing from the Lord. The vi vi victory they won, the fight against the giants, the 300, the 800 that they killed. No, it was not just a man waking up and saying, I'm going to do this. It was a God-empowered man who was stepping out and as a result of plugging in into the resources of God. God brought about great victory. How are we going to transform the nation? How are we going to transform our families? How are we going to transform the church? How are we going to be the jambas that we are talking about? we are going to be men who are open to the move of the spirit of God in our lives men who are allowing the presence of God to abide upon us men who are hungry for God men who are saying I'm plugging in into the resources of God I'm drawing from his presence I'm allowing God to use me I'm a candidate to be made into a victorious man today because I'm depending on the Lord as they drew on the Lord as they allow the Holy Spirit of God God brought about great victory. Young man in a church pastored by A.W. Tozer, a young man called William Borden of Yale, coming from a very wealthy family, well-to-do family, millionaire, because his father left for him as a university student, millions, had a salmon challenging for radical commitment to God. He made a commitment to God. These were his words. Lord Jesus, I take my hands off as far as my life is concerned. I put thee on the throne in my heart. Change, cleanse, use me as thou shalt choose. I take the full power of your Holy Spirit upon me. Thank you for tuning in to that very, very special edition of Adam's Cave. That was recorded at Titamburuburu, where it went so down so powerfully. And I'm glad you listened in. So continue to engage us on 20933 or 0717-400555. Or just go continue to just drop a comment on our YouTube pages, comment section. Now it's time to leave the cave. And we want to wish you a beautiful week. And we want to ask that you stay connected as we go into the week. So we look forward again, of course, to seeing you again in the next week on the only station where you can look and live and where you can listen and live. I've been your host, Kesenjaki Protich, and looking forward for another very, very exciting conversation.